the end, uh, the final stretch of our show. Normally we have music, live music at this point in our show, but we're doing live music at the start of our shows for season 13. Reba Riley, I'm the author of uh, Post Traumatic Church Syndrome, a memoir of humor and healing in uh, 30 religions about my journey through 30 religions before my 30th birthday, a project that helped me kick post traumatic church syndrome in the um, teeth and find spiritual peace after a tumultuous break with my former faith. When my post-traumatic church syndrome article went viral, I also became the accidental founder of the PTCS community. I believe in reverent irreverence, the power of spiritual healing, and a god that meets us exactly where we're at, no matter who we are. There you go. That's uh, interesting stuff, and she's an interesting woman. Also joining us in a second is Elizabeth Esther. That just sounds like a, just a great homeschool name. <laughs> the Esther part? No, it's like two Bible uh, chicks. Elizabeth Esther. Okay. No? Well, no, Elizabeth, yeah. I mean, but, I mean, Esther is just, I've always thought that was like a really biblical name. Yeah, Elizabeth, I mean, the queen it's and like, everything. But, it's like Hezekiah. Yeah, or Malachi, or Habakkuk. 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 Uh, Elizabeth is a speaker and author of Girl at the End of the World, My Escape from Fundamentalism in Search of Faith with a Future. I grew up inside a homegrown Christian fundamentalist church, which is a nice way of saying I'm classically trained in apocalyptic stockpiling, street preaching, and the King James Version of the Bible. I know hundreds of obscure 19th century hymns by heart and have such razor-sharp modesty vision that I can spot a miniskirt a mile away. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, none of these highly specialized skills ever got me a job, but at least I'm all set for the end of the world. You see why I'm looking forward to this? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us both over the phone at this point in time, Reba Riley and Elizabeth Esther. Let's start with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, you, this is your first time on the show, so so we will introduce you first. Hello, Elizabeth Esther. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> what a build-up, huh? Yeah. I do have a good homeschool name. It's a double biblical name, so I'm extra holy. <laughs> I am so, so happy for you to uh, to be joining us, and I'm really happy that you can join uh, um, Reba as well in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Reba Riley and I are, yeah. are pals, and uh, Reba, thanks again for being on our show. I, I thought maybe the last time I, I finally offended you, no? True, it's impossible. That's true. <laughs> it's impossible. It's just, it's just impossible. It's great to be here. And Elizabeth, I'm so excited to finally talk to you on, on Aaron Otherwise. Oh, me too. Likewise, Reba. <laughs> so, you know, you guys have so much uh, tribal conditioning, I would say, in your brain. that and, and your stories are, you know, they're parallel, but they're very different. You both crawled out from underneath so much tribal conditioning. And... Um, Man, I, I think I just want to start with Elizabeth here, if you don't mind, Reba. Um, you know, I know you're used to it all being about you, but not at this point in time. Um, Elizabeth, the the growing up inside this fundamentalist Christianity for 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 people who don't understand that, give us give us a little taste. Tell us some more about some of the stuff that that you think would raise an eyebrow for outsiders. Mm, that's a good question. I love your phrase, tribal conditioning. I think that really summarizes pretty nicely the group dynamic that operates in fundamentalism. And fundamentalism, I just want to say, happens everywhere. It's not just in religious groups, and it's not just in Christianity. Um, I have found some pretty fundamentalist uh, behavior in Little League, for example, organized (laughs) sports. But um, what makes it sort of stand out in the Christian context is a very sort of hyper-literal approach to reading scripture, a very strict black-and-white thinking um, on, on everything in the Bible, and, and in our case, 
a, a real emphasis on like end times prophecy and the world ending and Jesus returning and all of that stuff. So, okay, a so, real fun environment to grow up in. So some people who are listening, you know, they're... This is. I remember saying stuff like this as well. So it, it go a little something like this. Hold on. Fundament, the fundamentals of anything are important to understand. They're important to have. You need to have the fundamental mechanics in baseball or any other sport. Fundamentals are good. So to be a fundamentalist is a good thing. And, and you know, taking the Bible literally, what do you want to water it down with just the way you feel about things? How do you push back on that, Elizabeth? <laughs> I would say that anything that is that perfect. Let's put it this way: I would say perfection is the enemy of good. So that nice. even if you have good things, if you become perfectionistic about it, or if you become a purist about it, that can lead to um, damaging behavior. That's and that's what I want to talk about. Let's get to where the, the the proof is. Apparently, it's in the pudding somewhere. I have looked for it in many bowls of pudding, but I have never found it. How did this weirdness, and let's just label it judgmentally, because that's my show, mm-hmm. um, how did it manifest? What does being part of that tribe, what did that look like in ways that outsiders would go, what? You had to do what? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were very strict about like who's in and who's out, who is loved by God and who is hated by God. Um, who's going to hell, who's going to heaven, thus the standing on the street corners and preaching at age five, like shouting at past four at five, you're going to go to hell unless you repent. No, uh, you did not do that. You did not do that. I totally did. I totally did. I did too. Oh, I, you I did, did too, Reba? <laughs> I did. Not at 10. I think I was 13, so I got an extra couple years. Wow. Man. Okay, so what about, um, so in other words, you were judgmental jerks. Uh, you had your own fil- mm-hmm. filtration process. And um, what about the way you had to uh, dress or look? Was, was any of that stuff going on? Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, we had a very, very conservative um, sort of mentality that that applied to how we dressed. So girls had to be very modest, no tight-fitting clothes, no short skirts, you know, no cleavage, obviously. Even no um, sleeveless dresses were looked down on, so... Um, long hair was very much preferred and considered to be what a truly godly woman would wear. No godly woman would cut her hair short. Um, you know, so pretty much covered head to toe. So what I heard you say was no yoga pants, but what about Spanx? Because they're underneath. <laughs> hey, if it's underneath and no one can see it, then I guess it's okay. Because, okay. you know, Spanx could be from Satan, right? Yeah. Well, they both so start with S. Starts with an S. <laughs> I really said the same thing. Oh, my goodness. All right. Um, at what point in your life, Elizabeth, did you realize that what you were in was a little cray-cray? Um, I think it was around when I was about 11 years old when um, I began to realize that Jesus wasn't returning in 1988, like my grandfather had predicted, and I was still alive at age 12. That kind of was a clue that <laughs> things yeah. were a little bit wonky. <laughs> I'm and, sorry. Uh, I should not be laughing out loud at that. Should I? Can you play the rapture bumper, please? Ready? Just have a listen to this, Elizabeth. Tell me Broadcasting you... before and probably after the rapture. It's the Drew Marshall Show. There you go. What do you think? Yeah, that's. I heard that when it started. I totally busted up laughing. I, don't, right. I wasn't on air yet, but that cracked me up. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so, no, but listen. You know, as much as we're jokey-jokey about this, you know, there's some hurt I would imagine in all of this. And there's some re 
rethinking. There's retooling. There's there's almost like a deprogramming thing that has to go down. I would imagine. True. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's pretty much the task for the rest of my life. Is every time I think I've deprogrammed and debugged every part of my brain and being and ways of thinking, I sort of like unpeel another layer, and I'm like, oh, guess I'm still a fundamentalist there, and I have to go and and rethink and and rework that whole area. So it's yeah, it's a lot of deprogramming. It's a lot of rethinking. It's it it is a huge Herculean task. I think that people don't understand that. When you grow up like this and you're very isolated and sheltered, to enter mainstream society and have to be like a normal person is takes so much freaking energy. And is like just trying to be normal is like for me it wears me out by ten AM in the morning. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> um I just want to bring Reba in on this. Reba, by the way, I know you're listening, and I know that you're, you're sort of tweaking on a lot of the stuff she's saying. You feel free to co-interview uh, Elizabeth with me just for the next couple of minutes. If you want to jump in and ask her anything, uh, let me just a- ask you that now. Is there anything you want to ask her about? Oh, would she like to come to Cincinnati and have coffee? We'd have a lot to talk about. <laughs> um, oh, and Drew, I don't know that you even pretend to be normal. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Guys are sick. What was the initial start? Like, how do you describe to us outsiders the start of your getting out, the start of your transformation? Was it a, a particular moment? Was, you know, where you sat there and realized that this patriarchal um, mind control that you were having to submit to was was ludicrous because somebody did something to you, somebody said something to you, somebody on the outside talked you into it? Was it pure inner conviction? Was it because the man in your plan started to give you a wake-up call? Because I think it was, did it not, was there not some connection to when you got married that you kind of got out? Yeah, well, we got out after we'd been married for five years, and um I would say it was a combination of all those things that you mentioned. It wasn't just any one thing. It was a combination of, number one, just just being tired of being abused all the time. You know, I finally got to a point where I was like, I'm just, I'm sick of this. Like, it's hurting so much. The trauma continues. It doesn't get better. It gets worse. Um, exhaustion played into it. Um, also, you know, I read a lot of books, which uh, if my parents had wanted me to stay a good cult girl, they probably shouldn't have let me go to the library as much as they did. Um, so I spent a lot of time reading, and I and I ended up being able to go to college, which is a huge um, sort of anomaly for girls that are raised in, in my culture. And um, going to college was, was hugely eye-opening for me and um, shook up a lot of my, you know, my, my beliefs and opened my eyes and so it took a long time. It, it was, I would say I really started questioning when I was about 16. I tried to leave a few times. I couldn't. Um, I didn't have anywhere to go. I kept going back. Um, but gradually over time, finally, I worked up the courage. And by the time I was 25, after um, some things went down in the church, then I, then I was able to leave. Okay, we are on the phone with uh, Elizabeth Esther, and she is an award-winning blogger and author of Girl at the End of the World, My Escape from Fundamentalism in Search of Faith with a Future. Also joining us, Reba Riley. Reba Riley is the author of Post-Traumatic Church Syndrome, a memoir of humor and healing. Um, Elizabeth, you, you use the C word, <laughs> and I mean cult. Um, <laughs> so people ask me all the time, because of what I do, they say, well, what's a cult? And my response to them mm-hmm. is from when I took an alternative religious movements course at Theological Seminary, 
uh, they would say things, well, cult can be determined two different ways. One, theologically, from a Christian point of view, they've wandered so far off of mainstream theology, so far off of that, you gotta, you have to say, well, they're, they're not part of the tribe, therefore they're a cult. And then there's a mm-hmm. uh, sociological definition of what a cult is, and that's, a, you know, abuse of power, uh, manipulation, uh, threats of whatever, and, and then when you leave, we treat you like dirt kind of stuff. And, and for example, Mormonism started as a cult because it was a breakaway from Christianity, from mainstream Christianity. And so they said, oh, it's a cult. But now that there's so many of them, sociologically, it's no longer seen as a cult. It's a world religion because mm-hmm. there's so many. Mm-hmm. So there's so many different mm-hmm. angles on that word cult. Were you part of a cult? I believe, yes. And I agree there are two different ways of defining it. For me, it's not helpful to um, define a cult based on theological belief. Um, I... I know a lot of people tend to do that, but for me, what is what is what tends to be more dangerous? I mean, beliefs do play into it, but if you're looking for a quick and easy way to identify a cult, just look at their practices and behaviors, um, the way that they treat each other, the way the leaders, the top-down leadership, how women are treated, especially how children are treated, yeah. um, whether personal freedoms are violated. So those are the things, when you look at that, um, I think it's easier to identify a cult. I mean, we could sit here and argue about theology, which people do all the time, and I just find that to kind of be uh, a circular, you know, argument that doesn't ever really get anywhere, and in the meantime, women and children and everyone are suffering. So for me, when we're looking and we're describing a cult, I, I very freely define the group that I was in as a cult, and I've had people who grew up with me or who were in the church that have taken issue with that. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I was in the founding family. Like, I was in the inner circle. I think I can, you know, feel free to call my family what it was. And it was very toxic, and it was very cultish, and the group itself became very cultish. So, um, yeah, I think that we have to look at—I like the sociological um, definition, and I also—I just don't think the sociological definition goes far enough, though. So, um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's important to look at those practices and methodology. Um, don't take this. Do, well, hold on a second. It's my show. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's only because Reba and I are friends. Jump in, Marcel. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was ready for a funny. I was going to say the, the main question I have right now for Elizabeth Esther is: um, Do you wear miniskirts? Uh, yeah, you know, I went through a phase where I felt like, actually, I think I wrote about it one time where I was like, Jesus is calling me to wear a miniskirt, and I kind of like went through a miniskirt-wearing phase where it was just my way of, like, taking back my bodily autonomy and kind of being able to shake off a lot of the shame that I had around my body. And, um, shake it like yeah, a Polaroid. For you. Yep. You go, you go, girl. Okay, Reba, sorry, go ahead. I also wear mini skirts. Easy. Um, maybe not as often as I used to. <laughs> I'm getting a little old for it. Um, well, Elizabeth, I read Girls End of the World right before it came out. I was fortunate to receive it in advance review copy, and it is a beautiful book. And thank you so much for being brave enough to write it. Um, and, and, and my question for the for the the listeners out there is: Could you talk a little bit about how having children uh, affected your um, Good uh, breaking with the cult? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and that actually is um in the book was my 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 biggest turning point was when I began to realize that I was perpetuating the cycle of abuse onto my own children. And I had a moment um where it just kind of one of those moments of clarity where I could kind of like I was kind of outside myself and I could see what I was doing. 
And, um, you know, I had sort of been pressured into spanking my one-year-old daughter because she had reached for some chocolate because she's one years old and she wanted to grab it. And, um, and uh, my grandmother and, and my mom were, were there telling me I needed to spank her. And, um, you know, it was a moment where I, I feel like it was just a moment of grace. Um, it was really the only way I can describe it because it's very hard when you're in those situations. Your thoughts are being provided for you, so you don't think yourself. And so for God to sort of, or grace to like break through that cloud and give me that moment of clarity. Um, and, and it was just enough for me to say, oh, I, I look what I, I can see what I'm doing and I don't want to do this to my children. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the first step in, in really taking, actively walking away from it. Can I, uh, let me just ask you this, Elizabeth, and I want to jump over to Reba. A lot of people, when they, when they grow up in a tribe, of, in a faith tribe, and they realize that uh, the the conditioning that they've received, you could look at it as abusive. It was manipulative. It was it was it was crappy. Whatever word you want to use, you know, I didn't like it, and it was it was bad, and and, and so I'm now I'm not going to do that. They also got out with it. They chuck Jesus out with it. They mm-hmm. chuck you know they chuck the whole thing out. The, literally, baby Jesus and the bathwater. So, mm-hmm. uh, what did you do? I mean, I think that that sometimes is a necessary process of healing and recovery. Sometimes we have to walk away from everything and deconstruct everything before we know what it is that we even can believe or trust again. And but and you, you didn't that. you didn't walk away from the faith, though, did you? Yeah, I did. I I walked away. I call it like my atheist phase, which, to be quite honest, it really only lasted about a week. I'm a very bad <laughs> atheist, but. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, I'm a failure in that area. But I, I, but I, yeah, I needed to walk away from it and I needed to question everything. I needed to question the things that I thought were, you know, irrefutable proofs of the faith. And I, I asked those things Jesus, God, was Jesus real? Is the Bible true? Is there a God? On and on and on. And uh, sometimes that's a necessary process of healing. Man. Okay. But, but now you're, you listen to worship music and, and go to church and, and, <laughs> I wouldn't go as far as listening to worship music. That's that's what makes me cringe. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I'm I am a very bad Catholic, is how I describe it. I I I found I found a connection to the Virgin Mary, and um, I had never experienced like feminine um, connection to my Christian faith because it was so very sure. male dominated, sure. and all the heroes of our faith faith were men. So for me, I had a kind of a rock bottom moment when my when my youngest twins were born prematurely and they were in the the NICU, the intensive care of the hospital, and I was feeling very helpless and vulnerable. And um, I just at that moment, another like moment of grace for me. Um, I, I had this thought that gee, um, Mary knows what it's like to watch her child suffer. And that that moment kind of um, awakened my curiosity to seek out more feminine expressions of the faith and have a connection with um, women of the faith. And so, um, you know, I looked around and kind of the only place I could find that was still within the Christian context was the Orthodox or Catholic churches. And uh, that's where I ended up. Have you read The Shack? Because in the book, The Shack, uh, God is played by a black woman. Yes. Yeah, I have read The Shack. I I just thought you'd like that. I, I like this. I did like the shack, but I also kind of shied away from some of the stereotypical. Like I, I, I just couldn't get on board with some of that. But it was, it, it did 
open up a different perspective for me, that's for they're, sure. They're filming the movie right now up here in Canada over uh, Vancouver Way, and the lady who plays God, I, don't, I can't remember the actress's name, Ariba, maybe you know. Cause, Octavia Spencer. There you go, Octavia, Octavia Spencer. Spencer. Yeah, that's who's playing God. Remember for oh, her cool. from The Help? Yeah. I call her the black woman from The Help with the big eyes. That may not be the best way to describe her. Um <laughs> Reba, how do you relate to Elizabeth's story? Oh, I think that we are, I think we're soul sisters. Would you agree, Elizabeth? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I would. <laughs> um, now, you know, I would say we, I, so much of what she was saying about, um, you know, the thoughts being provided for you and, and the power of God being directly involved with the rules just resonates so much with me because that's the community that I was involved in. However, I I didn't grow up in what I would define even now as a cult, just like subculture of, of evangelical Christianity. So sometimes when I was reading her book and when I've been listening to her talk, her experiences were much more extreme than some of mine. Um, but we still share that that as you say, Drew, that tribal conditioning where it's the you know it's the very heavy in group, out group, very conditioned behavior of what you're allowed to do and how you're allowed to do it in order to be part of the tribe. Would you say that you were, hmm, were you put down as a woman? Were you subjugated? Were you treated as a second-class citizen, Reba? Yes. Yeah, and a lot of it was, was very, um, it was almost covert, and it was, the, it was the, the shame part of it. I think that looking back, I, I experienced and didn't even know I was experiencing it at the time. Um, you know, there's so much talk about how, how you can dress and, and your responsibility for, for men and how men are treating you and how men are looking at you um, is something that I think is really harmful uh, for women. It just creates so much shame and, and, then, and then reconciling your sexuality with that is, is really difficult later. Um, and, and in the church that I was part of, you know, women were allowed to lead right up until a certain point. Um, you know, they could be children's pastors, they could be Sunday school teachers, they could teach other women, but they couldn't be senior pastors or elders. And so it was like very top down, you know, but, men. But um, girls, but ladies, if the Bible says it, I believe it. And that settles that, it. And that's that it. Yeah, and there you go. Yeah. That, that was the rest of it. Yeah. And there is there are scriptures that say stuff like women be silent in this church. You know, uh, there are scriptures that say, uh, you know, the spiritual head of everything is man, not women. And um, and and maybe you girls are just part of this sucky, uh, narcissistic generation that think you're all that in a, in a bag of tampons. I don't know. Whoa, right. Whoa, Drew. <laughs> what is that a bad word? <laughs> No, you're, you're, I, I appreciate the devil's advocate. Um, you know, I think I'm sure there are people that say that, um, but I think part of my uh, deconditioning, I guess, process was understanding that there are scriptures that say just about anything you want to find. Um, and, and additionally, mm-hmm. scriptures that, that most of, even even in Elizabeth's um, um, cult, as she would define it, in my subculture, we weren't following them. You know, we ate shrimp, we wore mixed fabric, we didn't follow all Hundreds that's and hundreds. That's of, it. Uh, Tim, hang up. Hang up from her. Hang up. D- disconnect her, please. Sorry, you know, I just, we can't uh, handle that. Okay. No more no, of that. No mixed more. fibers and shrimp. Yeah, mix, no. <laughs> <laughs> too much fun. You guys have too much fun. Um, I think it's really, it's part of understanding that everyone is, everyone is picking and choosing. And anyone who says mm-hmm. that they aren't, isn't 
really taking a look at it because it's really impossible, mm-hmm. impossible um, to not pick and choose. And so once I recognized that, uh, Drew, I was able to say, well, okay, if if everyone is, is picking and choosing, then I need to take what what works here. Um, and, and whatever is, and by works, I mean whatever is, I would say, you know, bringing you closer to, to the light. Um, and, and so that's how, I, you know, that was a big part of my recovery. Okay, I uh, just want to bring everyone up to speed. First, you are listening to The Drew Marshall Show, and um, your hate mail can be sent to Joy1250, 284 Church Street in Oakville, Ontario. Um, if that's the first wor- time you've ever heard the word tampons, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. It's the mixed fibers that's throwing me off. <laughs> Do they, they better not make they those out be, of those. They might be yeah, mixed fibers. Li- little yeah. Buselix and Raisin Bran, oh my God. <laughs> okay, so... Um, what I want from this conversation is not just the two of you to have this mutual, you know, this uh, admirationist society for, for, you know, this you go girlfriend thing happening here. What I would like is for you to be able to share with our listeners some warning signs that whatever they're involved with may be nutty and they need to maybe re- they just might need to rethink being involved in this particular church or this particular tribe of of religious people. So it's kind of like, you know, the book that the publishers want you to print, right? 101 ways to signs that you're in a wacky church. So uh, let's, let's start with, with you, Esther, otherwise known as Elizabeth. Uh, can you give us one sign, just one, and then that'll give you time to give Reba time, and then we'll go back to you. And I'm looking for some signs. One sign that you, sure. that you may be in a wacky uh, uh, place that, is, that you need to get out of. Okay. I guess for me, one of the biggest um, warning signs would be if if anyone in church leadership tells you that leaving the church is the same as leaving God, Whoa. that's it. Mm-hmm. Wait, mm-hmm. That, this is starting to sound like a Jeff Foxworthy routine. You know, <laughs> chances are you might be in a right. cult if, and there right. it is. Right. right. Yeah, that's it. Okay, uh, Reba? If you're ever subject to any type of abuse, whether that abuse is, um, you know, emotional or if, especially if you're if you're separated from anyone, if they're telling you that, um, you know, you can't you, you can't speak to such and so because God doesn't want you to. Anytime anybody has all of the answers for God, that should be a warning sign. Okay, let me push back on the abuse thing, because uh, we are living in a fairly sucky pants society where people sue litigation at the drop of a hat and people are offended. Like, you know, even Jerry Seinfeld saying he doesn't do comedy at, at universities and colleges anymore because it is ridiculously politically correct and everybody is waiting to be offended about something. And so when it comes to this word abuse, uh, speaking as someone who has never been abused, so I really probably don't have any right to say this, but I've, I've heard people say, you know, they do the Christian speaking circuit and and they come and because of the abuse thing and they and I hear their abuse story and I honestly this is going to sound horrible but I hear their abuse story and I go really really that was abuse I you know it's judgy it's outsidery it's it's ignorant but uh, that is my pushback on on if you're going to a church and you feel like you're being abused well there are people that are going to go to church and they're going to hear some stuff that they may think is abuse and it's not somebody rescue me out of this conversation or this uh this well, thing. I, here, I have a, I whoa, whoa 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 not everybody holy cow uh so reba, reba you go first here i would i would never want to judge anyone else's definition of abuse on the radio frankly you know, no that's I, that's I mean, my job yeah <laughs> I, I that's that's drew's job um i i i really wouldn't um because i i don't i don't feel like that would be my place 
Um, I just if if you are if you are being degraded, insulted, um, separated from from you know family and friends, um, and subjugated to uh, you know being controlled in in different ways, that those are warning signs. Okay. All right, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say something similar, but that is, but but my my opinion on that is my perspective is it's really not anyone's right to tell you what is and is not your experience. Hmm. So if you are saying this is my experience and I experienced abuse, no one has the right to say no, it's not. That's not abuse. You shouldn't be feeling hurt. Wah, 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 wah. Really, that's just another form of victim blaming, and I can't tell you how many women and how many children. Um, in these groups, that that is the first line that they hear. You're too sensitive. That wasn't abuse. You shouldn't be feeling that way. No one has the right to tell you what your experience is. So, you know, I mean, I know people are making a big deal about like, oh, everyone's so easily offended. Well, you know what? There are a lot of, of, of things that we need to be offended about and things that we should be more offended about. And there's a lot of abuses that happen in these churches that we can't just laugh off and say, sorry, I'm a little, I get a little bit sensitive about this, a little passionate, because yeah, this is my story. Yeah. Like, this is, there. I can't tell you how many, and this is not to take on you, Drew, but, but how many men have said, like, just get over it. Like, that's not yeah. abuse, and that's not something to be upset about. And, you know, and truly the, the issue is, is that no one has the right to tell you your own experience. Uh, I so much really appreciate that. I really do. Uh, your pushback on that was fantastic, Elizabeth. Thank you. Uh, you know, speaking of, no, just <laughs> seriously, speaking as an ignorant, dumb guy who's never encountered that kind of stuff, uh, you know, I'm just, I realize I'm talking out the side of my head. I'm just, I guess what I'm thinking is uh, that's the pushback I can hear other other meatheads mm-hmm. saying, right? I mean, I don't think sure. I'd be stupid enough sure. to say that to somebody. Maybe. Um, I, although I do default to Bob Newhart sketch. Do you ever see that on Saturday Night Live where his answer, he's a psychiatrist, and his answer for the girl who comes in for help is, stop it! That's it. <laughs> never mind you told me that several times on the phone i'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah, that's right yeah um, never, i've never seen i didn't have tv so i never watched saturday night live oh like, yeah <laughs> yeah no tv by the way that's another sign you're in a cult if they say don't watch tv i'm just you know just want to throw that out there <laughs> um i guess what i want to know from both of you is what was the darkest time for either of you when you were in the middle of it what was the darkest what was the what was the biggest hurt the biggest pain Elizabeth? Hmm, that's a good question, because I don't think I could narrow it down to just one thing. I mean, when you're in that environment, it's an entire lifestyle. So every area of your life is affected by it, down to, like, what you wear and who you talk to and who your friends are. And um, But I would say probably the darkest time for me in general was um, when I felt trapped, that I had nowhere to turn to, that I didn't have any connections outside the church, that even if I wanted to leave, I wouldn't have anywhere to go. Um, that feeling of helplessness and isolation was um, probably the closest I ever got to healing, just completely despairing, because I also had that feeling of like, and who's going to believe me? Like, yeah. some of my stories are like so, so extreme that people are like, whoa, wow. And like that, that people you tell, tell them, I, in fact, my left, I didn't talk about my story for like nine, eight or nine years, because anytime I had learned that if I brought something up, people would be like, oh, wow. And kind of like slowly back away. Wait, hold on. <laughs> so, you, you, have you shared, I mean, you, give us the, the craziest story. Give us the craziest one. Make us go, whoa. Um, I think probably like one of, you know, so like two things. So one, like our preoccupation with end times. 
things and like down to like okay jesus is returning in 1988 like that oh yeah really crazy and you know stockpiling and then just on a personal level just kind of the physical abuse that children experience in my church you know starting at about six months old babies were being spanked on a daily basis so um you know experiencing that kind of physical abuse from age six months to age 13 um you know people in mainstream society just like have no context for that like i don't know how to interpret that don't have anything helpful to say other than oh wow whoa and and which is you know and so i learned like i didn't want people to pity me and i didn't want people to like think I was some weird nutcase, too. Sure. So, you know, that kind of experience can be very isolating. Um, I wouldn't go, I'm, I'm glad. Like, it made me who I am today. It, it made me able to empathize with people who have gone through really abusive experiences. You mentioned uh, stockpiling. Tell me you didn't mm-hmm. stockpile weapons. Uh, no. <laughs> no, we are You know, it's funny. Is This is really ironic. because we, we actually were, um, my dad especially, was like a very much a pacifist when it came to um, war and weapons and fighting. Um, we did not have guns. We did not believe that war was the answer. Um, my dad had a little bit of like the California hippie in him. Um, and so, you know, we were, it was, it was weird because on the one hand, like, you know, you would beat the crap out of your kids, but like if a robber came into your house, like you would try to preach the gospel to them and not like beat them down, you know? Um, so it, it was just like this weird sort of dichotomy. Um, so no, when we stockpiled, it was okay. it was food and supplies, not weapons. Interesting how you would save food for the end of the world. Doesn't make sense. Uh, Reba, weird moment. No, yeah, your darkest yeah, your moment. your darkest time. Oh, the darkest time. <clears throat> um, you know, for me, the darkest time was after I left. Um, after I made that break, you know, for me, the trauma in post-traumatic church syndrome was, was in the post part because it was, it was setting aside everything I knew about myself. I felt like the gravity had been taken out of my world um, because my center of my, who I was, um, who I was, where I was going, my past, my present, my future, my vocation, my family, my friends, it was Jesus. You know, everything was about Jesus. And so, so when I walked away from that, I literally didn't know, I didn't even know, I like, you know, Jesus had dictated everything from how I spent my time and money to the shade of, you know, lipstick that I was allowed to wear. So I had to start over Blood red. and figure out who I was. So that was, you know, my, my darkest, uh, my darkest time. Is it like, I know there's a lot of people that don't like the victim label um, because it makes them feel more victim-y. How does that word sit with either view, Elizabeth? Um, you know, I embrace both sides of it. I was a victim of abuse, but I'm also no longer a victim in my real life. So it's it's true on both ends. I don't I don't try to like erase one side of that because okay. it's true for both. Um, I I I don't I have to catch myself at times like there's a kind of a learned helplessness that you grow up with in these groups, because as I said earlier, you don't learn to think for yourself. You those thoughts are provided for you. Uh-huh. So sometimes yep. I can, when I'm, when I'm faced with like normal things that happen in a normal life, like up and down, I, I can totally flip out and freak out and like be paralyzed because I don't know how to ha- take the agency to take the initiative to take care of myself. I don't feel like I have that right to take care of myself. I have to just let whatever's going to happen happen. And so I've had to relearn how to 
how to take care of myself, how to stand up for myself, how to use my voice, how to push back. And, and it, it, you know, it comes with a lot of trial and error because sometimes I can push back way, way, way too hard and then realize like, whoa, okay, I did not need to like set off that bomb. I probably could have just like, it could have been a slap, not a bomb, you know? Um, so it's a lot of trial and error and I hate that I just use like war metaphor for that. So just like, oh, I can't believe I use that image. So please scratch that off. But, <laughs> okay. um, so like, you know what I'm saying? Trial and error. There we go. I just yeah. did it just now. Yeah. No, well done. Well done. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. I think something in the back of all, all, uh, anybody who's spent enough time in the Jesus scene has a problem with unlimited grace. Um, that is a hard, hard concept for us, you know, because there's something in the back of our minds that says, okay, you screw up, you ask forgiveness, and then you stop it. And then you screw up again with the same thing, you feel horrible, you ask forgiveness, and you stop it. But once you're at about the 30th or 40th time of doing that or whatever, you um, we put limits on God's grace, and we put our own you know, anthropomorphized theology on, on th- we give God credit for stuff he doesn't need credit for, and we put blame on God for stuff he shouldn't get blamed for. We make God in our own image. We're, we're not supposed to, but every one of us does. Know what I'm saying? Yeah, Anybody? I hear what you're saying, but I think at the same time, like, the difference for me is, you know, God there's un- God has unconditional love for me and unconditional grace, but I, if I keep making mistakes, I get to experience the real-life consequences of that. Like, right, unconditional right. grace doesn't mean that, like, it erases, you know, the, the consequences that come from that. Not really well the said. Balances. Really well said. Man, you're good. I should have had you on the show a long time ago. <laughs> Reba, you, you've just released the book. I'm very excited because we've talked to you many times about this book. I've talked to you. As a matter of fact, I was just in a pitch meeting down... Uh, with some uh, some fancy people in LA, and I br- and I brought the book up again because that's how much I I like. I actually started reading your book, believe it or not. Uh, it only took two years. Oh, I know how bad is that? <laughs> Don't tell anybody, but I oh, I, I appreciate it. I endorsed I the shack it. before I read it. How bad is that? What a loser! Uh, I'm a fan of yours, and I'm a fan of your writing, and I think this book, even just the, I mean, it's more than just a title, but it's the, it's the best title ever. Post traumatic church syndrome. The Jewish power brokers, Hollywood power brokers I was speaking with, they want you to write post-traumatic temple syndrome next. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, PTRS. It's closely related. Post-traumatic religion syndrome. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> closely yeah. related. Yeah. So, listen, I, I hope you two uh, remain connected with each other. And, I, I you know, I, I can see both of you coming back on our show Again, if you don't mind, there's so much more to talk about, but we've run out of time. RebaRiley.com is the website, and ElizabethEster.com is the other website. And you, I, I'm sure that both these girls would be very willing and open for you to connect with them, send them a note. If you are feeling trapped in your place of worship, or you have come out of a place that you felt has been uh, fundamentalist-y funky... Wow, that's a that's a good phrase. Then uh, you, these are the girls you want to talk to for sure. Thank you to both of you, Reba, Elizabeth. What a great discussion! I I just really do appreciate it. Thank you, girls. Thank you, Andrew. Okay. Thanks, Elizabeth. Bye, bye, everybody. All right, a very short break. We're going to wrap up our show in the last five minutes here. Um, we're going to talk about next week's show. The entire four hours is going to be dedicated to death. It's our first ever death show. Uh, hopefully, we kill it. <laughs> 